everybody welcome to the 202nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here just thinking back about a very successful two games did i predict it right again or did i say we'd lose one of those games i legitimately don't remember Oh, am I am I four zero this week or this this? this You're four zero this bubble. Bubble Sage is essentially Nostradamus. So I'm gonna hit you up pretty soon. And be like, okay, what eight numbers should I get for Powerball? Because we're gonna win it big and donate our money to all good causes and also get this back, get this podcast really on and popping. Nasty Nas to Espo to Escobar. Now he is Nostradamus. Come for the basketball, stay for the the bars. That's what I say. I legitimately was like, I think I said we'd win these two games, but shit, I don't remember. I should ask. So speaking of of those two games, the Blazers do go 2-0 and to run their record so far to 32-38. and They are currently a half game behind the Memphis Grizzlies for ninth in the Western Conference. They are at the midway point of the seeding games. They knocked off the Houston Rockets 110-102 uh, to in a, a thriller on Tuesday night, and they bounced back Thursday, which is tonight when we are recording, defeating the Denver Nuggets 125-115 to in a game that really wasn't that uh, – the margin for, for, for error, or excuse me, the margin of victory was not that large. This was a nail biter of a game, probably the hardest game outside of the Grizzlies game I've had to watch um, of the bubble games because this one was back and forth and uh, they definitely made me split it out. But the Blazers, they got these two, two dubs and they are now in prime position to be either the eighth or the ninth seed in, in the play-in. Hmm. I mean, a lot of stuff has been made about how the Blazers season is difficult. But as you saw with the Nuggets game, they played some weird ass rotations and the starting Nuggets didn't play for like the last eight minutes. Though These rotations are going to be wonky. And I think the Blazers, because of the difficult schedule on paper, are going to feed into getting some lucky rotations. Bull Bull was in when Jokic was diming up players. And then Mike Malone decided, hey, I don't want to waste my guys and let's just run the second unit out to finish the game. Like that bubble rotation's real, Doug. Yeah, and I would argue Mason Plumley had a much bigger impact on this game for Denver than Jokic did. Just the way he was rim running, he took mm. advantage of our pick and roll defense. He's bouncy, he's active around the rim. But that was the more recent game. Holy backboard strategy, we start from the previous version. So let's kick it off. The Blazers defeated the Rockets. As I mentioned, this one, Portland had a comfortable lead. Houston came firing back, and they closed it out with a vintage Carmelo three. Made even more special by the fact it was against the team that said, hey, we think you're the problem. We're going to kick you out, uh, cut you about 10 games into the season. And basically, he got banished from the NBA for a season and a half because mm. everything thought everyone thought he was, you know, tainted goods. Portland picks him up and, you know, we have a starter on a potential playoff team 
hitting clutch buckets. And this isn't the first clutch jumper that Melo hit. We already talked about the two he had against Memphis, but that was huge that he had that shot. Dame completely outplayed Russell Westbrook. The media loves upping that that rivalry, even yeah. though they're both pretty cool for another. They're just they're they're different personalities, they're competitors. But when you look at Dame Lillard, who I would argue is the MVP of the bubble, goes for another almost another triple double. Now he had his one and only triple double earlier this season in Portland against Houston. He almost does it again, getting 21 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists against the Houston Rockets. But Sage, what I want to talk about first is the Blazers have implemented what they call their diamond defense. And we will link this in the show notes at the end of the podcast from a a YouTube video made by Half Court Hoops. And, you know, I went after the game and I found it online and I watched it. And this wasn't the first time the Blazers have implemented the strategy. They have done it all season long against the Houston Mm -hmm. Rockets. They're three and one now using this strategy and it is directly correlating with with shutting down James Harden that is the the main objective is to get the ball out of his hands make other people shoot the ball and more importantly make other people be decision makers with Mm -hmm. the ball in space and you can even you know in the bubble you can hear a lot of things you can even hear them yelling diamond when you go back and watch the replay you see CJ he's putting um basically hand signals uh, to just showcase to represent what a diamond is and really what the goal was was they put somebody on his left hand, forcing him to go right, the primary defender, and there would always be somebody shadowing him. They essentially put him in a loose-fitting box. And the statistics from it back it up crazy. So in this particular game, half-court hoops said that we ran this defense 32 times. Houston scored 27 points, shot 10 of 24 from the field, Four fouls were resulted. Uh, three of eight free throws were converted. It resulted in four turnovers. So what that really measures out is 0.866 points per possession, which knowing today's NBA is atrocious. And when you factor in how deadly the Houston offense is, even better if you're a Blazer fan. We held the Rockets to 102 points, and they really could never get into a rhythm. Sage, I thought Terry Stotts and the Blazers coaching staff really implemented a perfect defense. You're going to give up threes. We saw Jeff Green uh, get wide open looks, but when you play a gimmicky offense like the Rockets, I would rather live with Danielle House and, you know, Ben McLemore and Jeff Green shooting than James Harden. Yeah, I mean, it's a strategy we've implemented for a while. I'm glad that someone took the time out to track it. But, yeah, like that that's been our MO to get the ball out of Harden's hands from for a while now. Yeah, it's better to let Jeff Green shoot than James Harden shoot. And Nurkic does a much better job at being what I assume would be the tip of the diamond, defending the hoop when Russell Westbrook arrived. Because he didn't, he was not nearly as effective as he was when in those other three games when they uh, passed it off to him and he would rim run. Get it going. I mean, he was atrocious from the foul line, five of 12, just five of 14 shooting from the floor. He ends up with 15. I mean, the Blazers did just a fantastic job. They actually outshot the Rockets from the foul line. Uh, they went 20 of 29. Houston went 15 of 24. So anytime you're in the positive at the, at the free throw stripe with a James Harden led offense, 
Uh, that's a big W. And then Portland completely shot, uh, excuse me, shot so much better from three. So if you were going to go up against a primarily uh, three-point shooting offense, you can outshoot them from the line and outshoot them from three, and you know you're going to get busy in the paint. Uh, it's a recipe for a win, and that's exactly what Portland got. And Sage, I think we could have won this game by 15 to 17 points had we just converted a little bit more around the rim. Yeah, our our, our conversion rate has to be pretty atrocious when it comes to our bigs with potential easy buckets. And I think that was a – I think Nurk probably psyched himself out a little bit too much on a lot of those layups because you're going up against a defender who's probably six, seven, eight inches smaller than you, and you kind of lose a little bit of focus, and he left a couple of them short. I don't know if he's used to having an arm in his face or, or whatever, but – the type of defender could have thrown him off, but you know, I've noticed that throughout the bubble, the Blazers are having a difficult um, mm-hmm. time converting easy layups. And even when they get the ball off of offensive rebounds, either go back and watch the games or make that a point of emphasis to kind of focus in on Blazers are having a hard time converting off of the offensive rebound inside the paint. They're either going to get stripped or they're, the ball's just not coming off the their hand. Right. And it's just falling off the rim, but well, uh, regardless, that, you take the victory. Absolutely. It was kind of it was the push shot from our bigs where it was not true. And it hasn't been true very consistently. I, I don't think we are being that efficient in that type of shot motion where in the post, any type of push shot is kind of uh, inaccurate. We're killing it on dunks and layups, but anytime there's like a post move, then a post hook or a post push shot it, it it's rimming out more than it's going in and, and you love seeing the dunks especially with the big men that's always been a pet peeve of mine if you're near seven feet tall and you're going up soft with it uh you got to take that take that ball and go home like if, if this is coming from somebody who cannot dunk i probably will never experience the joy of dunking so whenever i see a big man just not flush it with authority it irritates me because i would love to have that opportunity so for all the short the short ones out there, the average size dudes, uh, send it home, you know, throw it down, big man, as the great Bill Walton would say. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember Lamar heard talking about Nurkic's hook shot like two years ago, how it was the best in the league, but like the best in the league was still like 60% field goal percentage. I'd, if you, there's a chance that you can dunk it instead of doing your hook, absolutely just, throw it down on him. I mean, look what he did to Bull Bull. Yes, Bull Bull is a small forward that's seven feet, but still. And you look at the Blazers, they capitalized on what Milwaukee couldn't. Milwaukee out-rebounded the Rockets by over 20, yet they still found themselves on the losing end of the scoreboard. The Blazers went into this game knowing they had to dominate the glass, and that's exactly what they did. They were plus 25, 64 to 39, and I felt like they were in control of the game for, for the majority of the contest. And like, like I said, we're still figuring out how to play, how to be consistent. So while at times it is frustrating that we're not extending leads and we're letting teams creep back in, I still have to remind myself, this is really the fourth time we're playing together with something on the line that there's, mm-hmm. there's going to be rotations that work. There's going to be rotations that don't work. 
There's going to be pairings that are great. There's going to be pairings that we probably shouldn't see again, but we're finding our feet. We're finding our ground. And I think the sign of a good team is winning when you don't have your best. And I would argue that through four bubble games, we still haven't seen an A performance from this Blazer team. I think the best we've gotten is probably this rocket performance. And I'll give it a solid B, um, a, a plus defensively, but overall, um, I'd give it a B. I mean, we I mean, only shot 41% from the field. Um, we are lucky to beat the Rockets shooting that shooting that poorly from, from the field overall, but we got it done at the free throw line. And sometimes you just got to better be lucky than good. I mean, I, I vividly remember being on this podcast, bitching about how we've had this amazing advantage offensively, but we didn't utilize it because it didn't work one time and we went away from it throughout that rocket game. It was, a, uh, it was evident that they, they were going to get the ball to the post and let the post move dictate the offense. So seeing that gives me more faith because I remember when we played Brooklyn two years ago, like Nurkic, they were playing against the, the best possible matchup. And we didn't go to Nurk as much as we should have. Is that the game Terry sat Nurk for the entire fourth quarter? I think so. I remember being upset about that one. I I I, I remember being like, we have this awesome advantage, but there's no way we you, we don't attack it for 48 minutes. The Rockets are the perfect team to just. We have three seven footers. Pass it to them. Have them make a split decision. There's no one close to their height. I'm happy that they took advantage of that uh that that glaring mismatch and I hope throughout the rest of the core and Terry Stotts' time together we take advantage of really easy matchups. Maybe this is the step forward that we need and I need to start being able to dictate what happens in games better. And so this was the first matchup where Anthony Simons saw minutes and he saw 16 minutes against the Rockets, and he played 16 minutes again against the Denver Nuggets. Sage, you were the one that said Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are playing 40-plus minutes a night. We are going to need someone else to just spell them for a little bit. Eat them minutes. You called it. We we saw Anthony Simons play. I would say he hasn't been super memorable memorable, excuse me. And that's both a good and a bad thing. I don't think he's forcing it. He did hit a nice three against, against the Rockets, but we also saw that when he's paired with Hassan Whiteside against teams that really love to do pick and roll, that's really where the Blazers got themselves in trouble in the early regular season. And we got destroyed by Denver. That's how Denver made their comeback to ultimately take the lead. Um, We blew another double digit lead. I mean, yes, we came back and got the victory, but it was primarily due to that combination. Uh, Mason Plumley just absolutely abused our defense. Uh, he's too quick for Hassan. Anthony's not seasoned enough to fight over screens. And it really wasn't until Nurkic got back in the game and they tried to do another pick and roll. And he stepped up and just took the ball away. And it was like, mm. no, no, no more of this. I'm going to be aggressive. And again, this is not placing blame on Hassan or Anthony. But as we talked about, we're starting to find out what pairings work and what pairings don't. So if you've got a team that runs pick and roll, I hope Terry Stotts kind of puts this in the memory bank and says, okay, I cannot have Hassan and Anthony on the floor at the same time. But, and, but Mason Plumley knows how we play 
pick and roll defense. He was on the team for a year. So yeah, it's yeah a everybody little... knows how we play pick and roll defense. I mean, film exists. Yeah, true. But how many minutes do you think Anthony and Hassan play together throughout the year? Do you think it's right. a lot? I mean, Hassan was our only center for 95% of the season. Anthony Simons was the sixth or seventh man. So I, I have to imagine they, they played quite a bit uh, together. And our, again, I'm not blaming just those two, but our defense was, was terrible. Um, and the reason I say it's the pairing is because I distinctly remember in the first half of the Denver game, Hassan had a couple of major blocks off of the weak side. Anthony was really communicating on defense. I saw multiple times where Denver was kind of running their guards. Uh, I think it was he and Dame were guarding both of Denver's backcourt. And there was great communication between Anthony and Dame. They wouldn't, you know, fight through the screens. They would say, okay, I got your man, let's switch. And so they wouldn't get caught up. So I I think the off-ball defense is there. I just think they need to continue to work on that on-ball pick and roll. And Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But with these games being so important, maybe you need to wait until there's a, a blowout, maybe in Portland's favor, to start to work out some of those um, those those issues. Because right now, every game is so valuable. So I, I think it just happened to be the perfect storm for Denver to make that comeback. And it, it is good to see Ant start to get really meaningful time. So Anthony and Hassan have played 547 minutes together, and the unit that they played together the most is Anthony, Mello, Kent Bazemore, Dame, and Hassan. So, pretty similar to what we saw. It, yeah, except Kent Bazemore. It, it's tough because there's a lot of reasons that the pick and roll, our pick and roll defense doesn't work. And yes, I think that Hassan and Anthony playing together with Hassan being so laterally challenged and Anthony being young makes it tough. But, you know, there's so many factors in pick and roll defense. It's hard to just blame those two. It could be, it should be all five of them playing good team defense and isolating those two is rough, but. It I, I think it was those two, though. Like, I'm again, I'm not placing blame, but it was clear Denver isolated that side of the floor, and it was, it was time and time again. Like Hassan is better against a traditional big like Valanciunas, which he did a great job against. Mason Plumlee is just a bouncy mobile big. Like he's kind of a freak of nature that is underrated, in my opinion. And he's the type of big that just gives Hassan problems. It was just not a, a great matchup, and. uh Maybe it probably works better if it was Gary Trent or Dane mm. guarding the pick and roll. And maybe Ant has better success if it's a Zach Collins or a Nurkic. So, again, I think it was just a perfect storm that hopefully Terry takes to the, the drawing board and is like, okay, if this happens, I need to be prepared to adjust or this is something we need to kind of scrap and just address it in the offseason. But I think we, we've spent enough time on that. What do you that. think about Anthony's defense, last thing? In the first half, the communication was fine. It's just that that specific pairing against that specific type of offense. um, Hollinger said, uh, looked at some advanced stats and said that Anthony Simons was the worst defender in the NBA. I mean, he was not a good defender in the first, over the first, what, 60 plus games. Um, I don't think he's the worst because we've seen some 
atrocious defenders in the NBA. The I think he puts in an effort. Yes, and, and I think that's that's good. Where so defense is really hard to measure. Like either you see a good defender, you know it. Like the the eye test, I think, is the ultimate test for a defender. You can have as many advanced metrics as you want. I don't care. I just think it's super difficult to measure out somebody's impact on the defensive end. You look at Nurkic and you can just tell he impacts the game differently. When you look at Anthony, he tries incredibly hard. Like I go back to that game where Dame had 61 against Brooklyn, but Kyrie had like 30 plus. Terry Stott still trusted Anthony to go out on an island and defend Kyrie Irving and it wasn't for a lack of effort. He's just not there. He's, he's, he's a 20 year old, you know, young adult and he's not strong enough. He's definitely getting quick, but defense is a lot about savvy and knowing your opponent and knowing their tendencies and beating them to a spot. And he's definitely got the athleticism. He's got the quickness, but you look, I think the main difference between he and the Gary Trent jr. Is is strength. Mm. Strength allows Gary to really assert himself at the point of attack. Anthony kind of can get bumped out of the way. You've got a guy like Gary and he puts up some form of a resistance. So it makes the defender, the offensive player go to a secondary move or even pass the ball. So Gary's a year older. He came in stronger. Gary's a a, a tow truck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anthony just needs to put on some weight. And again, I think the expectations, especially, Especially from Neil Olshay and all of the media saying Gotta how hype. great Anthony was going to be. It got in the head of Blazer fans. And here we are thinking we have the second coming coming off the bench. When in doubt, we really have a second year player who is 20 years old, who is just finding his footing in the NBA. So I think we definitely put too much on Anthony's shoulders and hyped him up way too much. There's, there's no reason to write him off. I have seen too many Blazer fans say, we need to trade CJ after year one. He's not going to do it. I, I don't see it from him. I saw so much bullshit from Blazer fans talking just crazy about Gary Trent Jr., even in summer league. Oh, he's just a chucker. He doesn't play defense. No, he tried on defense, and he was busting his ass on defense in summer league, specifically to what Ant is doing now. Why don't we maybe give these players a time to progress and develop into their bodies. And as they grow their basketball IQ by playing more games, by getting more reps and just getting more confidence, Gary Trent Jr. has ultimate confidence right now because Terry Stotts is giving him that. He's giving him, he empowered him. He's empowering. And he, I would say he empowered Ant too, but you also have to be ready. And I think Ant's going to get there. But right now, he's, he's not a, a solid defender. What I would say is I have seen improvement from him in the bubble compared to where he was in the traditional regular season. And, I mean, if he's playing with Anthony Tolliver, uh, Rio, like, you know, the people around him will affect defense and his defensive rating. And if the team has been a really shitty perimeter defensive team, he's, you know, by default the backup guy is going to have pretty shitty defensive numbers. I think that Anthony tries really hard and, you know, I respect that. I don't think he, I don't think he's a great defender or a good defender yet, but he, he tries and bro, we've seen guards that don't even try like those, those quote unquote bucket getters that don't really care about defense on the other end. Like 
at least he's putting up an effort. Like Brent Forbes is one of the worst defenders in the league. He doesn't put in the effort. At least Anthony does. Trey Young is a terrible defender. Trey, oh, Trey Young is well. Lamelo Ball is going to be the worst defender in the NBA. Trey Young's right in front of him. Like, there's a reason that Atlanta is one of the worst defensive teams against guards in the league. So moving on to tonight's game, the Blazers, as mentioned, get a big win over the shorthanded Denver Nuggets, 125 to 115. And Sage, this game was a, a roller coaster. Denver came out firing. They had 20 points within the first six minutes. Portland really locked in over the next quarter and a half. Denver ended up with only 29 points the rest of the way. So that was a huge shift defensively. So going into halftime, you felt great. And I think what really triggered the Blazers to come back from that slow start was Damian Lillard. A lot of times we see him wait to pick his spots, maybe let others get hot and then take over in the second half. You saw right away that Dame knew this team needed him and this mm-hmm. game was too precious and he went in God mode. Like every time he shot the basketball, I thought it was going in, you know, he has 45 points, 13 of 21 from the field, just an incredible 11 of 18 from three still finds time to hand out 12 assists, grab four boards, get three steals and commit two turnovers in just 40 and 41 minutes of action. Um, Tell me again, he is not a top five player because I don't believe it. Top five player, easy, book it, guarantee. I mean, when when you handle the ball that much, you expect turnovers. Turnovers means you're actively trying to do something with the ball. And the fact that he only got two is pretty uh, pretty incredible. I would say that Gary Trent on Michael Porter Jr. was a turning point for me when I was like, oh, we're not with this shit. We're going to – we don't care that Michael Porter Jr., might be one of the hottest players in the league. We're going to put our put Pitbull on him, and he's going to make his life terribly hard. Tenacious on-ball defense, him seeing cuts and cutting him off, especially lobs to Michael Porter Jr., where he, he would just front him. Yeah, he fronted him and got two lobs. Like That defensive effort was huge, and I think that was also a motivating factor, but you know, with this team, everything rolls with Damian Lillard and how he was trying to to uh, be aggressive and hit those threes and confidently shoot those threes. But you see him, like, making some really complex reads. Like, he cut and uh, a Denver defender cut him off and he just tossed it back to Gary Trent for an open three, I think, in the late third, early fourth quarter. Like, he was making some pretty incredible reads with his passing empowers Gary Trent to shoot, CJ McCollum to shoot. We got some shooters and they shot. Dame would drive me crazy if I was an opposing fan or even an opposing defender. They showed a close-up of him. And this was when Denver closed in. It was the third quarter. Denver closed in to five after we had been up by 14 in the third. He goes and gets an and one from three where mm-hmm. he shifts the ball from his left to his right mid 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 foul cans it the next time down the floor it looks like he's you know talking to himself or talking to his teammate and he doesn't even look at the rim and then all of a sudden he just pulls like he lulls you to sleep and he's he's done that i mean Mm -hmm. chandler parsons knows all about getting lulled to sleep Mm -hmm. uh 0.9 seconds 
he is so I was talking about this with Olga and, and I mentioned this before. He is the point guard version of Kobe. Like no one, no lead feels safe. Ask Boston. And two, you could have cut, you know, he is the ultimate like run stopper. Like mm. I remember going to Blazer Laker games, and, you know, we could be up by like 12 or three minutes to go and it never felt safe. Or we could be making a run and all of a sudden Kobe goes and hit hits a big shot. Uh, to kind of silence the crowd. Dame just has that that cool, calm, delected, collected demeanor. Like, he's not out there to fuck around. Like, he is a man on a mission. And again, like, we talked about this pre-bubble. He's exactly the type of player that can A, get hot, B, carry a team, and see, scare the living daylights out, out of opposing fan bases and opposing coaches because you have a top five player, you're always going to have a chance to win a game, Sage. Mm. Yeah, I mean, shit. Like, we, we've seen him come up big time and time and time again. I, I remember we played the Kings earlier this year, and it was like a big deal that he missed the game winning three. That's how clutch he is. With this game, it felt like we made a lot of haymaker type moves, haymaker type scores, like big threes. The Denver Nuggets kept it consistent by scoring consistently. We had those highlight moves and highlight scores, but they continuously ran pick and roll and scored. It felt like we were kicking their ass, but when you look at the scoreboard, it was like, you have a six-point lead? It feels like we're stomping them with all of these you know, great three-point shots that we're making. But, you know, when you're consistently attacking weaknesses, it's it's a uh, – you can score. I mean, you have to credit Denver. They went in there knowing they were shorthanded. And as as you saw in the last season uh, season finale, Ant, Gary Trent, Scalabissier, they all went out. They knew they were going to get a ton of shots, a ton of minutes, not going to get pulled. These are NBA players. They're, they're mm. talented, and you give them time, confidence, and they see a shot go in, they're probably going to make more. So you have to tip your hat to the Nuggets. They they made some tough shots, and they were lights out from three. They were 14-28, and that's what kept them in the game because every time Portland hit a three, it was either Jeremy Grant or P.J. Dozier or Torrey Craig would come back and hit a three, and then you know Michael Porter Jr. heated up to start uh, the first and third quarters, and – they were always there. And then you factor in Mason Plumley had just that, that God mode stretch where he basically carried them back off of that pick and roll and 13, seven and five from, from Plumley. And when he's hitting three or four free throws, you can't really foul him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's really difficult to, to, to ward off. You know, it's Dame mentioned post game that some of these games are some of the hardest to, uh, as, as a favored team. Because you know you're going up against a team with really nothing to lose, and that's what they signaled when they're like, okay, it's not worth the risk to play Jamal Murray or Paul Millsap or Gary Harris, Will Barton, Troy Daniels, et cetera. Like, it, it's not worth it. We're on the second half of a back-to-back. Uh, home court advantage doesn't really matter to us right now. We're just going to go out and play. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly – you play free, you play loose, and that's kind of where you see that that summer open gym mentality. I mean, that's kind of what's – kicking like TJ Warren off and he's having a just monster numbers. And, you know, we talked about this before the bubble, 
we're going to see players play more comfortable, probably shoot the ball better because yeah, you have virtual fans, but it's not, it's, it's, it's different. It's not the same. Yeah. You're playing in the same arena over and over and over. This is everyone's home gym, regardless of what color Jersey you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it shows the depth that the Denver Nuggets have to, to roll out, you know, PJ Dozier, Bull Bull, and then them actually being effective in those, that, that time. I mean, there's some games where, you know, we they don't they don't bring it. Those backups don't bring it, but they were ready and they competed very hard. So it shows the depth that the Nuggets have in in the in these in this bubble and how, you know, you don't need to be going full out when you have an established spot. We're hungry. We need these games. You know, the Nuggets they're locked in. They have a playoff spot. It's just seeding now. Like we, we, we have that, that hunger and desire where we got routed by Boston and then came out the third and fourth quarter and, you know, showed them what's up. I would say, even though he played 24 minutes, I loved Yusuf Nurkic's one-on-one defense against Nikola Jokic. Um, we didn't have to send a double, mm. um, Jokic isn't stronger than Nurk, especially after losing losing that weight. I thought Nurk really did a fantastic job of staying disciplined. He ended the game with only two personal fouls, and I only saw one that Jokic really baited him into. Uh, Jokic wasn't able to put on the moves. Uh, yeah, he had 13, po- 13 assists, but we also forced five turnovers. Um, I know this is probably more of an experimental game for Denver, but – looking into next season, because I, I think it would be some crazy scenario if we were able to match up with them somewhere down the road in the playoffs. So I'm thinking next season, whenever, wherever that happens, I, I really like our chances with, with Nurk. If he's able to just mono e mono go one-on-one mm. uh, against one of the, the elite centers of the game. Murray and Gary Harris and Will Barton now, a lot of the responsibility offensively is on, Yusuf's hand, or not Yusuf, uh, Joker's hands. Like he has a forty percent usage rate so far. It like right now the Denver Nuggets live and die by uh, Joker's decisions. His decision making is paramount for this team, and the fact that Yusuf could stay consistent defensively on such a good, talented center is very. Uh, it's a very good thing. I thought his emotions might be too much for him, but he was very calm, collected, and played really hard. You know, it, I think one of the biggest things we missed from this year was Yusuf's IQ, especially defensively, because he he he's able to pick up things that other players don't with pick and roll concepts or how he has to position his body for rebounds. He's he is one uh, impressive basketball player. He's a monster on that pick and roll defense. He is so quick and nimble. He has he's uh, got a really great reaction times. Uh, like I like I pointed out in the fourth quarter, they kept running the pick and roll to death. He put a stop to that. Just ripped the ball away and kind of put the the stamp of approval on on that victory. How amazing is it to watch Nurk? get the ball in the pick and roll on offense. And you just know that you've got a freight train running downhill. Like nothing juices me up more right now (laughs) than seeing Nurk basically clear path to the basket, or there could be another player as we saw bowl bowl 
uh, earlier in the first half standing his way. He's just cocking it back and finishing with so much authority. Like I yelled, Oh my dear Lord. When he posterized bull bull that I was eating ramen at the time and a, and a pee actually came out of my mouth <laughs> and I was that just excited and having that pick and roll action. And then if they want to double it, having shooters like Kerry Trent and Carmelo Anthony on the perimeter um, Sage, the offense the potential and even what we're seeing right now is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I've, I've never seen someone so big get so skinny when trying to make the right move on the pick and roll. Cause you, I mean, he, he's seven foot, 300 pounds and is slipping through, you know, gaps that, you know, guards wouldn't try and get through. He, he definitely has that desire for that, to play good pick and roll defense. And since the NBA is about 55% pick and roll, it's, it's good to have the, uh, the anchor of our defense back. He's bouncy too. He, he's, oh, yeah, bouncy he's, got that, and... he's got that Mason Plumley type of bounce to his game. He just kind of, yeah, he just kind of hops around the floor. Like he moves so quick. And the, the the play that actually got me the most excited came in came pretty soon after that dunk on Bull Bull, but Dame was on the the right side of the court. There was some action. He was able to get to the hoop, and Nurk's man left him. And then Dame threw the lob over the hoop to Nurk, mm. who was on the other side of the floor. I was I, I was telling Olga, I was like, if this is what they're gonna do, it's game over. Lights out, like shut it down. Let's go home. If the Blazers are ever able to successfully implement the lob strategy to their big, <laughs> it is going to be a nightmare for opposing defenses. I mean, that's how elite the potential is for this Blazers roster. And we really aren't even at full strength. And our players, for the most part, are still getting better. And so that is a, a beautiful sight to see. I mean, you look at Nurk, 22 points. Uh, seven boards, four assists, uh, two blocks. Um, just been an absolute monster. Been, I, I, I couldn't have envisioned or imagined a better four-game start from Nurk after the the long layoff from the injury last last spring. He's the highest. <clears throat> he's the most expensive center on Vandal in a slate with on a slate with a Joker. He is the most expensive player. He is the most valued center. It it shows that what he's doing on the floor on the court is very effective and people are starting to notice even if the mainstream ESPNs of the world don't notice. Yusuf Nurkic is getting biz and it it's showing on, you know, it's showing some pretty big respect when Joker's significantly cheaper than Nurkic on uh, on FanDuel. And I don't know how we've made it this far in the podcast without talking about the apple of Rip City's eye right now. Uh, the flavor of the month, hopefully the flavor of many more months to come. The flavor of the 3 and D? I think he's, I mean, like Lamar said, he's not just your average 3 and D. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., the play I want to talk about specifically before we really get into it, Reminded me a lot of game four OKC last year. Paul George running up the floor. CJ said, nope, give me that cookies, blocks it, runs down, and just pulls up from three, three yeah. like it's nobody's business. Trent 
stole the ball from Porter Jr. on one of those lobs we talked about, and he'd already hit a three. You know he was feeling good. Stopped and popped, and you know what, Sage? I was like, yeah, go get it, Gary. That is a good shot for you mm. right now. Splash, yeah, and you can, see, you can see the emotion. You can see his teammates' reaction. He is starting to become an emotional support, an emotional charge for this Blazers roster. Um, they're depending on him right now, and mm-hmm. he is delivering like – like nobody's business. I mean, if you go back to the Houston game, he had clutch threes down the stretch. Um, I think he closed out the game for the Blazers, 16 points, four of nine from three. And then tonight, I mean, what, what else can you say? 27 points, played 36 minutes. Only Damon CJ played more, 10 of 15 shooting, seven of 10 from three, four assists, two steals, three rebounds. And when he was on Michael Porter Jr., had the clamps on in him. Uh, I cannot believe the progression. Um, we saw bits of it during the regular season as he started to get more time, but he has upped his game so much. And to think this guy would only be a junior in college right now, whew, the sky is the limit for Gary Trent. So <clears throat> my what would if you were his coach and i th- i have a feeling that we're going to be playing more than 8 or 9 games but if you were his coach what would you tell him to work on in the off season what would you think would expand his game the most who that is a really tough question because i feel like the natural progression for gary would be to get stronger uh, get quicker, faster, you know, jump higher. Like, again, we're talking about a 21, 22-year-old young adult. His body isn't a finished product. He's not at his athletic peak. So I think getting your body continuously to its ultimate performance is going to make you a better defender. It's going to give you more stamina so you can play 36, 40 minutes a night, still hit those threes. I would see if he could work on extending his range a little bit more and then – Go to CJ's uh, CJ's victims unit camp and watch CJ and see how he gets the ball in his hands and he's able to score off of off of the dribble. We've seen Gary do a little bit of the step back, and I don't think he needs to necessarily have to uh, get an, get on an island so <clears> he can become an isolation player. But Gary's going to be getting the ball in his hands a lot more where he's in the triple threat. You know, the dribble, shoot, or pass, and he's going to have to be able to take his man off the dribble at some point. And he can't, I guess he could always make his living off of a catch and shoot, but the more things you do, the more money you make. And that's what we all do in our careers. We try to get as much, uh, much bread as we can. So I would say work on, work on the handle, work on the finishing, work on the body, study film. I think he should go to Ogden, Utah with Dame and work with his trainer. Uh, I I forgot his name, but is the it things Phil he, Beckner? I think it is. And I, I think the things that Bill talks about is getting better at finishing, getting better with the handle. And I think that if he was going to take that next step, I think having a bit of playmaking and having a tighter handle is going to be the, the moneymaker. I mean, of course, shooting and defense is important, but if you have the, if you can have a few moves and initiate the offense, he goes from like a $10 million player to a $17 million player with, you know, that a bit of 
uh, initiating skill. Yeah, if you're able to get him in the offense where maybe they're hounding Dame and you got to put it up to Gary and you're going to run pick and roll Gary and Nurt. Gary, can you hand, can you be a decision maker with the basketball? That, you know, that's what really will elevate the salary is can you make the right read? Can you make the right pass? Are you, are you shooting here? Are you getting to the line? Um, and that's just going to come with time. And Gary was actually asked a question by Casey Holdall in the post game up to, after tonight's victory. And Casey was like, you know, how have you really been able to have the the hottest, you know, streak of your career? And he's like, Casey, I put in that work. I'm in the gym every single day. Um, this is a gym rat. This is the son of an NBA veteran. He knows what it takes. And you best believe that he sees the results and he knows, oh, I, I want more of that. I, I have no really fears and Gary Trent being satisfied you know, he's got, he's got a lot of Damian Lillard in him. Like we, we, we do, we talk about Wes and he does have a lot of Wes, but, but I see a lot of Dame and the way he's, you know, he handles himself. He's, he's very emotional, but he's also, you feel like he's cool when he's taking the shot. He, he just knows that he, he's got the muscle memory that his rotation is, is, you know, the same thing over and over again. And what I noticed at the end of the first half, when he hit the last second three against uh, the Denver Nuggets, he's always in catch position with his mm. hands. He's not wasting any motion. And somebody brought it up. I think it was on Rip City too. He's starting to remind me a little bit of a, of a Clay Thompson. And if, if that's the case where he doesn't necessarily need to put the ball in his hands, then I would say work on the catch and shoot. Can we run you off of screens? Mm. like like a clay like a steph like a, a reggie miller rip hamilton ray allen go go down the line of all of the just could you imagine him getting a screen from nurk on like an iverson cut through the through the lane for an open three like that absolutely could be some i mean you look at the warriors shit. and why they're so difficult to defend is they don't stop they're always <laughs> moving and yes it's fantastic that that dame's initiating the offense and he's able to you know catch and shoot but you know, I think you can take this offense to a whole other level if you've got the threat of, of Dame, CJ, Nurkic on the pick and roll. And then, oh, by the way, Gary Trent, he's either going to be spotting up so you can pick your poison there or he's going to be running your man ragged mm-hmm. and getting clean looks. Like, I, I think now that I think about it, that that's what I would love to see him do. Aside from getting the body um, continued improvement there, can you catch and shoot? Can you run routes? Um, become a playmaker, all of that. And I really have no doubts that he's going to get there. Like he, I think he and Dame now are tied for the most threes made so far in the bubble. I think Mm -hmm. it's something like 19 or 21 threes. Um, Just incredible. I mean, been, been a a revelation. I mean, if it wasn't for TJ Warren, he would be the, the guy that people are talking about as the bubble superstar. And even TJ Warren came back down to life. Uh, when Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon come back and you're kind of a shooting, you're scoring a, a dependent player and you were getting rebounds, but all of a sudden the rebounds are gone. I, you know, it's, it's, he was he was more expensive than more expensive than Kawhi Leonard today. Anyway, I'm going to give Gary Trent an amazing compliment coming from me. He moves defensively like Drew Holiday and cutting off uh, driving angles. It, oh yeah. He yeah. he's got first team all defense written over him. I, I think he's a quicker, he's not as strong as Wesley was, but he is much faster and better at qu- uh, cutting off angles. Yeah. I mean like when you're going against the Steph Curry's, the Kyrie Irving's 
Damian Lillard in practice, being able to cut off the desired angle that they're trying to get to the basket is huge. And if he can get better at that, like the movement reminds me of a Drew. It's not as he's not as masterful at it, but like you can see that he's cutting off angles like a holiday brother. And so before we get into the other games, I want to just give a couple of stats through the first four games from the three, I think most talked about blazers and those, those three through the first four games are obviously Dame GT and Nurk. Let, let's start with Nurk. The big fella was out of action for over 16 months and has really came into the bubble with a vengeance. Uh, the, the beast is unleashed. He is averaging 22 points per game on 49% shooting, uh, up until tonight, he was perfect from the free throw line, uh, 23 of 24, grabbing 11 boards, a little over four assists, three blocks, a steal and a half in 32 minutes a night. Sage, he's only turning the ball over 2.8 times. I know that was a point of contention when we first acquired yeah, he was, him. He, was, he tried a lot of uh, difficult difficult passes earlier. In the... You're seeing him pick and choose his spots when he's going to yep. make a pass. And I, I think... Th- that has been much more well received because you can't be turning the ball over in today's NBA with, with scores in the one twenties. You just need those extra possessions. And he's he's he has the ball twenty seven percent of the time when he's on the floor. That's like the equivalent of a really good point guard. He has the ball in his hands as much as Pascal Siakam did does for the Raptors. To only have two turnovers is huge. Like he's making good decisions. He's taking risks when it's a bonus for us, when it's a positive risk and not a, a net negative risk. Like, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic is playing some of the best ball in the NBA right now. He's, he's, he's top one. He's like, he's, he's in the, the center right now. He's yeah. the best center. Yeah. He's, he's fucking awesome. Like he's, he has, he handles the ball. He rebounds, he assists, he, plays amazing pick and roll defense. He covers for his teammates. He's he's playing some he's probably playing the best ball of his career right now. And I, you mentioned we talked about Gary Trent this summer. I would like to see Nurkic really extend the range to to the three-point line and I think that's going to come with more that, stamina. You can see a little bit short on mm-hmm. those threes and as well finishing. Uh Nurk for as great as he is when he dunks it, when he tries to lay it up, it, it just his touch around the basket, uh, it could improve, and that's what's going to take him to an, another another level. What percentage of three-point makes would you be really, really happy with Nurk? Like if he was a 34% three-point shooter at the th- five? Yeah, I don't think average? I really want him taking more than three to four uh, threes a game, and the ones he's taking are are open. And you can tell the defenses are begging him to do it because he's a playmaker at the top of the key. Uh, so if, if he's hovering around 35%, you know, you get a league average from Nurk just to be a little bit more respectable because, again, that's going it, it to – It opens up Zach Collins so much. And it just gives another outlet for teams. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to try and double, you can have more people around the perimeter. And, again, just it just throws another look at the defense to, to keep them off balance. Uh, to move on to to Gary Trent Jr., uh, as we just talked about, averaging over 20 points per game through the bubble in just a sizzling 59% from the field. He has shot 
24 from 35 from downtown, 69% from three in 33 minutes a game. And say she has made a grand total of one turnover. A young player who plays defense, hits open clutch shots, and doesn't do more than he's capable of. He's the total package right now for the Portland Trailblazers. And, and there was a lot of talk, and I'm sure there still is talk about Ariza not being on the team, but if Ariza was playing his 35 minutes a game, there is zero chance that Gary Trent Jr. has this, this type of run. And we know what Trevor Ariza is. He's, and he's been in the league for 16-plus years. We know what he is. He's not going to improve. Gary Trent Jr. has so much more to give. So I'm I'm glad that he is taking his chances and really, really making the best of this situation. It really reminds me of, and you, you kind of sparked this in my memory because when you said he's getting a chance, and I really had never thought of it like that, and you're 100% right. We may not have seen this large of a sample size of Gary Trent Jr. had Ariza been in the bubble with the Blazers. It reminds me of the 2015 season when Wes went down and then we traded, we had already traded for Aaron Aflalo and then he eventually got hurt. And we had this second year player by the name of CJ McCollum who just goes out and gets an opportunity and cooks the Grizzlies. And that really catapulted his career. He went on to win most improved player in 15, 16, and now he is one of the game's most elite scorers. So if this has the type of, results that that has happened for cj over the past five years then you take this and run and this is a huge bubble success I and mean, we're already seeing what we're, we're getting from nurkic but now you're adding the progression and development of gary trent jr um, things are, are looking pretty rosy in in rip city i mean competitive team ariza eats minutes like it's candy he'll play 34 minutes Coaches love Riza because he does everything that's asked of him and knows himself in his role. If he was here, he'd be playing 36 minutes a game easy. And it, it, like he would be make getting his 10 points, his two steals. You'd be really happy with that. But like Gary Trent Jr. is giving you, you know, two times that, 200% of that. Like it, it he's taking advantage of that opportunity. And when opportunity strikes, he took advantage. So, you know, salute to Gary Trent. He's been utterly fantastic. And lastly, I think hands down, the bubble MVP at the halfway point is... TJ Warren. No. The one and only Damian Lillard. <laughs> uh, Damian Dalla is averaging over 31 points per game, 45 from the field, 44% from three, over 11 assists per game, five rebounds, uh, over a steal, th- in just just three turnovers in 43 minutes of action. Um, that is goddamn ridiculous. And really, before tonight's game against Denver, you could maybe see Dame was probably playing like B-level Dame. And he's like, no, nah, I got more of a gear. And he has just flipped the switch. And it's just so enjoyable to watch him play basketball. I am beyond words when trying to describe the brilliance uh, of Damian Lillard and, and what he means to this franchise. And he said post game against the nuggets that all we wanted was a chance and we knew what we could do. 
And you can tell that he is not going to let anything slip up from this Blazer team. Like this opportunity is is, is precious to them, and, and you can see it in, in their, their their play. Yeah, and it's not like he's trying too hard. You don't, I don't, I don't see him like overexerting himself. The three point shooting tonight was unsustainable, but anything else in his game, the last three unsustainable even the three-point shooting like dame mentioned again post game like i felt like the ball was coming off my hands really well it just wasn't dropping and you know we've been off for four months and live action is just a little bit differently and he's a rhythm player he's the type of guy that can carry you on a run deep into the postseason just like he did earlier in this year when he kept us afloat in the playoff race he can go back to back 40, maybe got to be back to back 50 point nights. So uh, is it a lot to ask for him to shoot 11 of 18? Yeah, every that, night? I mean, that that's the. Oh, a- absolutely. But all it takes is one look and he just kind of gets locked in and you get in the zone and basketball is all about rhythm and confidence. That man takes advantage of it when he has both. And the sky is, is the limit <clears throat> when he is off and rolling. And you can't you can't leave Gary Trent Jr. or Mello or Nurk or CJ to to send that double, or else he's just going to make the right pass and get it to the open shooter. Or I mean, it's night and day watching this offense. When no, don't get me wrong, we miss Harkless and we miss Aminu's defense flat out. But on the offensive end of the ball, it is night and day watching defenses try to attack Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard because the spacing so much better. These, the the floor is open. Like I'm watching a game and and subconsciously I'm like, wow, the floor is really open. Mm -hmm. Like it's not bogged down They're They're not suffocating one side of the the floor. And you know, every time Gary's shooting right now, it's like, Oh, that's cash. And there's no wall on Dame when he drives. Like, Yeah, yeah, he's getting, it's almost like you put better pieces around star players they perform even better than they can. And then the, those role, role players actually become better players. I mean, it, we we take a trip back to the Grizzlies game. Dude, Damon CJ finished on Jaron Jackson and Jonas and Brendan or Clark all the time. Like, it wasn't that the spacing was so good. It was our two guards are so good. Now it's like there's room for Damon to breathe. Shit, who's the Pistons coach? Who's the best Pistons coach? Dwayne Casey? No, 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 no. Best. Chuck Daly? Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly said, spacing is offense. Offense is spacing. And right now, we're playing some damn good offense. It's crazy that I remember his quote, but I don't remember Chuck Daly as a, yeah. That's why we work. That's why we work. Because <laughs> I remember some facts, but not the entire fact. <laughs> Through four games... Give me a team that is exceeding expectations and give me a team that oh, this doesn't, look as, doesn't look as hot as originally anticipated. All right, Blazers are over expectations, but I think the Suns are as well. I, I should say um, Blazers excluded from this conversation. Oh, well, then, uh, I mean, the Suns are hot. I mean, I think the Suns in the the Western conference going four and oh the the Devin Booker shot over Kawhi and Paul George to beat the Clippers. They beat the red hot Pacers. They've beaten the Mavericks. So they've beaten tough teams and have really kind of uh, 
came out of nowhere to probably be the biggest threat to the Blazers right now, along with the San Antonio Spurs in the East. uh, It's got to be the Toronto Raptors. Uh, They put the clamps down on Anthony Davis, an impressive victory over the Los Angeles Lakers. They're three and zero right now have a firm grasp on the two seed and they're doing this without Kawhi Leonard. Um, They're just a fantastic organization. They draft players, they develop players. Kyle Lowry is just a, just a goddamn winner. And they're Pascal, Pascal Siakam is a future first team all NBA player. Like they, they just know what they're doing. That's my team. If I'm going to root for a team out East, it's definitely got to be those Raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I agree Phoenix, but I would also say Toronto out East has been very, you know, simple. like the Raptors turned Chris Boucher, who is in the G league into a legitimate rotation player. They, they, they turn questionable players into legitimately complete players what they do with their training and their player development is top tier they they should be mentioned alongside the spurs when it comes to player development and the celtics those like are the three best teams that like you know if you're getting drafted by boston you're gonna get a jump shot you know if you go to the toronto raptors you're gonna learn how to play defense like that they're incredibly impressive as a team i mean the team that is doing the worst has to be the pelicans they had the one of the easiest schedules and blown the game against the jazz got blew out didn't show any heart beat the grizzlies without with jaron but you know it was still a fight and then lost today against the kings because they couldn't stop uh De'Aaron fox and bog so they yeah, gave that's up the almost most... 50 points in the first quarter. What, what, what is, so as our resident Pelican insider on this podcast, myself included, everyone thought the Pelicans were going to be Portland's biggest threat. The schedule was easy. They were getting a fresh Zion, young team, hungry vets and youth looked really good leading up to before the season kind of postponed. Everything seemed to align. Like what, what went wrong? And is, the, is there still hope? Do you think they can still fight for that that eighth, ninth plan? I think it's a lack of basketball IQ. You see Zoe making really stupid plays, trying to push the ball to players that don't need the ball to be pushed to. You see them not trying in the rotation defensively. I saw Zion say that we're not worried about giving up 50 points in a quarter. It, it It's a mentality thing think that talent will out outproduce hard work. I think the only two real players, well, three that have shown up are JJ drew and BI Derek favors has had a really rough time. I, I defensive players right now are just not showing up, but I, it's all about, they think they're talented and are not trying to work hard. And that's a, been an issue this entire year. You know, they, they're one of the most talented teams on paper, but if you're not trying to dig down and get that rebound, what the fuck are you doing there? So New Orleans would be my pick as well. I think uh, a runner up, so to speak, nobody would want this award, but the runner up for me would be the Utah Jazz. Uh, you mentioned they did beat the Pelicans, but the Pel- that's not a good win anymore, bro. It looked more like New Orleans gave it away by yeah, not playing it's, it's Zion. Not a good win than the Jazz actually taking that victory. Uh, They got absolutely blown out by the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, weren't super competitive against the Los Angeles Lakers, and then really struggled to beat the Memphis Grizzlies without Jaron Jackson Jr. Yes, I know they're playing without Bogdanovich, 
But Sage, this is a team that, you know, we've kind of had preliminary discussions of, you know, who's going to make it next year in the West, like with so many young teams looking good and the Warriors getting back, the Blazers getting healthy. Utah's a team that that might slip up for me because I they gave up a lot for Mike Conley and he's not getting any better. They lost a lot of defense in Jay Crowder. Um, they had Kyle Korver off the bench. Um, they, they just they lost a lot. And I don't know if the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert pairing is is really going to work. And even in today's NBA, like the game just is continually to get more modern. I don't know if it's the system or the skill, but Rudy Gobert's defensive impact is being increasingly decreased. Yeah, yeah. Year over year. I think Quinn Snyder, I think, is a excellent coach. But you you can give him some blame. You can give the players that he has around him blame. But I would bet on Quinn Snyder to figure it out and if figuring it out. I mean, one of the biggest issues they had this year was Donovan Mitchell not throwing Rudy Gobert lobs and him, Rudy Gobert getting frustrated at him about it. I can see Donovan. I kind of get that vibe that he thinks he's better than he really is. He's very good, but yes. No, very good. I think he's more of a Robin than a Batman though. Yeah. I think like, I remember listening to a podcast and they were talking about like, yeah, the they're the one of the major issues is Rudy Gobert thinks he isn't getting involved on lobs as much as he should, and it might be true because as a lob threat, he's probably one of the best ever. But you know, if Donovan Mitchell thinks him shooting is more valuable than a, than a Rudy Gobert lob, I get it. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's a very weird situation. They're a very top heavy team in terms of talent, like. Once once uh, Bog, uh, Bogdanovich went down, who's going to take on that 26% usage rate? Like Royce O'Neal and uh, George Niang? I mean, the, if they have a good draft in the offseason, maybe, but if they keep They don't. That, they give up their picks. Oh, shit, they did. Do they have... What's their salary cap like? Let me Google. If Mike Con, oh man, Mike Conley has a thirty million dollar contract. That's going to be so tough. And if what if Donovan Mitchell gets his second contract while uh, Conley's still on there with that enormous, yo man, like teams like the Sixers, teams like the Jazz, taking on huge contracts from aging vets, man, that's just going to be tough when they're even more inefficient. In Utah's case you don't really blame them too much. Nobody really saw Conley falling off this hard. They're a small market team. They're never going to attract free agents like the trailblazers. <laughs> they saw a chance to make a trade to go all in. They did get Bogdanovich in free agency, but again, they did not a sexy pick though. Yeah. They just suffered yeah. too much depth. And when you lack top 10, I, like I said, I don't know if Donovan's maybe a top 20 player. When you lack a true superstar, you have to have depth. It doesn't seem like their players get a, a long super well. So that that could be trouble, trouble brewing in, in Utah. But that's uh, neither Those here nor the there for – For sure. What's that? Jazz and Pel- – Pelicans and Jazz, I'm going to order it right, are the two most disappointing teams. Although, last subject on the Jazz, when they played the Grizzlies, Memphis wore their Vancouver teal throwbacks, and Utah wore their their purple Rocky Mountain throwbacks from the finals. That was one of the most beautiful jersey aesthetics that I have ever seen. Like, both teams 
please permanently make those your fits. Just I got a question to ask you. What do you think of those jazz Rocky Mountain jerseys? One stew war. Oh, those I would call those the sunset ones. Oh, the suns, whatever. I remember them saying that it, it represents the Rocky Mountains because of the color scheme. But anyway, how do you feel about that? I just want to roast our friend for a second. Yeah, I think that definitely has some just the mountain ranges and all of the the national parks they had, and they've always they said they've always wanted to incorporate it. But um, the jerseys themselves aren't bad. But when I saw my guy Stu, who was a diehard Blazer fan in Utah gear, I was like, "Come on, my guy, we we can't be having that." So you know, I had to shoot you the text, say this is blasphemous, and hop in the chat and watch the stream. And uh, thankfully, I saw all three of you decked out in, in the red and black. So that, that brought a smile to uh, <laughs> my face. Apparently the chat thought I was too harsh on uh, Stu, but cut it out with that bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> back to real basketball. All right, Stu, we love you, but it's Sage. It's time to check the predictions where you, my friend, are, are king of the predictions for the year. You have officially sealed your fate as the prediction champ of Holy Backboard. You went... 2-0. I went one and one. I am 39 and 30 on the season. You are 46 and 23. We have two games on tap. We got brunch with the Blazers. It is a 10 a.m. start <laughs> okay, against okay. the Los Angeles Clippers. So Sage, I'm gonna be texting you. Be like, wake up, wake up, wake oh, up. No, 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 no. I wake up at 10 a.m. every I wake up at 8 a.m. every day to research lineups. Don't you worry, you're pretty head. I I look at the slate every day. Like, all right, when do I have to wake up by to do two hours of research? Bam, boom. My sleep schedule is atrocious because I do meetings a lot too. But I'll be up for this. All right. And then 3.30, we get a Sunday early afternoon matinee against the Philadelphia 76 or so. Two difficult ones to predict. (laughs) Difficult to predict and absolutely crucial for the Portland Trailblazers as we start to look at – you know, Terry Stotts kind of alluded to it. It's too hard to look at any magic numbers right now. It's it's way too jumbled. And I did some research, though, for, for our listeners. And really, what has to happen for our Portland Trailblazers is essentially New Orleans and Sacramento cannot catch us as long as we win two more games the rest of the bubble. So, so that's beautiful news if you're a, a Blazer fan. Now, when it comes to Memphis, we do need some help to get to that eighth seed. I know the ninth seed technically triggers a play-in, but you want to be an eighth, so you only have to win once instead of having to beat them twice. Exactly. So if we go 4-0, we pass Memphis with one loss. 3-1, and we pass Memphis with two losses, so on and so forth. Given the injury to Jaron Jackson Jr. and the Memphis Grizzlies' remaining schedule, which shows the Thunder, Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks. I'm not super concerned about Memphis. Hopefully they continue to lose, but I feel okay with that. The the two teams that Portland really needs to worry about are the Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs. So crazy. (laughs) Right now, the Blazers are 32 and 38, 0.457 win percentage. And win percentage is, is really king when it comes to the seedings. It's not, don't worry about the games back or necessarily the tiebreakers because it's all going to come down to the winning percentage. And so we're at a, a basically a 45.7% winning percentage. And we have four games left. Obviously the Clippers, Sixers, Mavericks, 
and Brooklyn Nets. We max out at 36 wins, which is about 0.486. So, so that, that, that's beautiful. Phoenix and San Antonio cannot catch us, even if they win every single game and we went out. So we technically, aside from a Memphis loss, control our own destiny. Let me look at – first I want to look at the Spurs matchups for the next uh, – So the Spurs play Utah, and they are resting four starters. They have already came out and said we are resting four starters. The Pelicans, Houston, and the Utah Jazz again. Uh, the Spurs, their max, what they can get is 33 and 38. That is 0.465. Now, if you're Portland, what beats that? Clearly, if you go 4-0, but if you go 3-1, you can beat the Spurs, even if the Spurs went out. And Here's look- the big issue with the Spurs is they don't have post-depth. So they're going against the Jazz, the first Jazz game with no Rudy Gobert, right? I, I mean, the Jazz are missing. They're sitting four starters. I don't know what four starters they are. You but go against the Pelicans. Zion, in theory, would get Jakob Pertle into foul trouble. And then the Pelicans could get that dub because they're just going to give it to Zion and B.I. quite frequently and really make Rudy, Rudy Gay be their, their five because LaMarcus is out. Drew Ebanks is out. They really just have Jakob Pertle. I would really love it if the Spurs were playing like traditional teams the, the entire way. But since that's not the, the thing, I I would say the Pelicans beat them. I think they would take advantage of the Rockets because they do have one cent. If, or, uh, yeah, I would say that, that the chance that they lose is the Pelicans, the Rockets, just because of their team makeup, you know? So the Suns, they are undefeated in the bubble so far, as mentioned. They still have the Heat, Thunder, Sixers, and Mavericks. They max out at 34 and 39, which is 0.466. The good news there, the Blazers, if they go 3-1 and one the rest of the way, cannot be caught by any team behind them. Three essentially is Portland's magic number for themselves to clinch at least the ninth seed. And if they go three and one, they would need Memphis to go two and two to pass them as well. So that's an overall breakdown. Uh, NBA.com I have found has the best standings because they list out to the right, mm. how many seeding games are left and what team, you know, they basically list it win loss, win loss in red and green. So you can clearly see the, the seeding record. Um, Do you think so- that the heat will beat the Suns? They did not have Jimmy Butler. They did not have Goran Dragic. They, they were up 23 on the Bucks and completely shrewded it. Did it, yeah. It's tough because I feel like the one of the major keys for them to uh, lose is center play and really good point guard play. And, and that's what's going to make the bubble super the- interesting, Sage, is – Seeding doesn't matter. It really, the only thing that matters is what side of the bracket you want to be on. Because if you look at Miami, Indiana, and Philadelphia, they are all separated by a game and a half, four through six. Four, five obviously doesn't matter. There's no home court advantage. Mm-hmm. It just really just depends upon, okay, if I get out of the first round, do I want to see Milwaukee or Toronto? Mm-hmm. Or like, I have a distinct advantage against Milwaukee because they're not a good three point shooting defensive team. We have five shooters. 
we should probably be on that side of the bracket instead of against the Raptors, who are a good three-point shooting defensive team. I'm remembering stats from earlier this year. <laughs> and then you get teams like Portland, Phoenix, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, Memphis. They need to win at all costs. So it, it makes it really difficult to predict. But the that Blazers basketball, baby. The Blazers, after going three and one, it really put themselves in a nice position. And I think these upcoming two games are clearly the most difficult remaining on the schedule. Let's look at the Clipper game first, Sage. They have played, I would say, sporadic basketball throughout this bubble. They are two and two. They they lost a heartbreaker to the Lakers uh, opening night of of the seeding games, and they also lost on that last second shot to the Suns. But they completely beat down your Pelicans and had no problem at all with the Dallas Mavericks today. So they're kind of a tough team to peg. Kawhi and Paul George are getting their reps. They both they both played damn near forty minutes tonight. So that's that's a good sign that. Yes, we have an early game, but our opponent had to play that same night as well. And with them, I would anticipate that Patrick Beverly will not be playing. He's got a sore calf, and Montrez Harrell is still out. I would anticipate that stays the same as well. And those are two big losses for a Mm -hmm. really deep Los Angeles team. Yeah, so I'm looking at the most recent game is against the Mavericks, correct? Yeah, it is. has to be. It's a sixth. So... Uh, they their starting rotation was Landry Shamit, Marcus Morris, Kawhi, Paul George, Ivica Zubac, and then Jamichael Green and Pat Patterson got some major minutes off the bench. How do you think their rotation will go with big men? If if uh, Harold doesn't play, how do you think? I think that that is the biggest advantage we have is Yusuf Nurkic going against Ivica Zubac, Patrick Patterson, and who's the shitter that I also said? Joachim Noah and... Michael Green. Michael Green. Sorry I called them all shitters. But I feel like that is a huge advantage. Obviously, Dame versus uh, Landry Shamit is also a huge advantage, but they could easily put Paul George on Dame and Kawhi on CJ and something like that. The... Centers normally defend centers. So I think that Nurkic has to have a huge game for us to have a chance at winning. Yeah, Nurkic is my complete X factor because he's the game changer. If you want to put Paul George uh, on Dame Lillard, that's fine. We can still run our pick and roll action. And Nurk's a good enough decision maker that if he gets the ball in his hands and they send help defense, you got Mello, Gary Trent Jr., CJ McCollum, all on the perimeter uh, ready and able to hit hit an open shot. Yeah. Um, for Nurk me, defensively, off that trail or off that cut. Defensively, for me, is where it gets tricky because if they go small and play uh, Paul at the four and Kawhi at the three, I don't know if we can go our finishing five. We may have to do what we did against the Rockets and have Mello and Gary Trent Jr. as the forwards to match up a little bit more quicker because I don't know if you really want to see Zach Collins on Paul George after what Jason Tatum was able to. Or Kawhi. Exactly. So it's going to be a chess match between Doc Rivers and Terry Stotts. And, you know, Rivers has, has a few more toys in his chest, but Stotts has, has a good, is a good showpiece as well. Um, got a few of them. We got a lot of gems there. You know, you look at the Mike Harden 2K. We got a lot of ones that teams. You are, you have just been watching so many 2K videos. I I love love it. it. I love it. I love (laughs) it. I mean, this is, I, I stay at home all day stage. Like I don't go out. Like I'm, I'm doing my part. I know you're doing yours. So, you know, the, the 
I've been watching a lot of 2K rebuilds and um, getting my knowledge up, so I'm ready for when Dame drops on that 2K21 cover. Are you going to do my my team? No, I'm all about the my league <laughs> and the my player, but doesn't mean I can't have the knowledge. Okay, because I'm like, damn, dog, are you really gonna you're gonna gonna trade in card collecting for virtual card collecting? No, I gotta feel that cardboard. Expensive. Yeah, um, yeah, well, it, your X Factor, dog. It has to be use of Nurkage uh, versus Ivica, and if Nurk can get him into foul trouble, and then it's Joakim Noah and Pat Patterson, like. Dude, it's just such an advantage. Like, Nurk has to play big minutes. I don't... Hassan can play when Ivica is also playing, but I don't trust him to guard Patrick Patterson or Jamichael Green defending through. This might be a bad... This might be the the, uh, Zach Collins show instead of the Hassan Whiteside show just because of what bigs they do have are more of the finesse type of big instead of the power type of traditional big that Hassan Whiteside can match up on and so clearly i'm on the same wavelength as you Nurkic is my x factor as well but somebody to keep an eye on anthony simons the the first time we played the clippers this year in staples center it was on tnt he had a stretch where i think he scored like 17 straight points or 17 points and a half but he was really cooking it was early in the season and you could see the bounce you could see the confidence there's no Patrick Beverly. They don't really have much guard depth that they're going to throw at, at an Anthony Simons. They're, you don't they're, think Reggie Jackson's Olay defense will stop him? I think that's a beautiful sign for Ant. So watch for Simons. If he's able to get that first one down, if he gets comfortable and is able to get us you know, 8 to 10 points off the bench, you get continued open shooting looks from Gary Trent. Um I'm, I'm, I'm going to love watching Gary Trent, whatever, if he's guarding uh, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, I, that's a matchup. Lou Will. That, or Lou Will. Uh, I would love to see GT. It, note on Lou Will. And if he murders us, you can say Dustin, you jinxed us. But I don't have the stats, not in front of me, but just over the past probably three seasons, I remember Lou Will always having cold games against us. That's just, you know, some players like to cook other teams. Other other players struggle against other teams. Lou Will's kind of struggled against us. So while we took a small break, me and Sage hit up basketball reference and looked at Lou Williams's career splits against the Portland Trailblazers. In 31 games against Portland, uh, Lou Williams is playing about 25 minutes. He is only averaging 14 points. Uh, it, I believe the second highest usage rate of any team. 28% uh, shooting under 50% true shooting and 36% from the field. So it could just be one of those things like CJ always goes all out against the Memphis Grizzlies. That's kind of where he broke out. He feels comfortable. Some players just don't play well against other teams. If this trend holds up and you're already down Montres Harrell and Patrick Beverly, this could be a huge boost for a Blazer team that really needs all the help that they can get at this point. That home court advantage and that home cooking is non-existent now, because I could see like twenty-five thousand r- players in the Moda or in the this, RG. This would have been the last game of the season at home. Yeah, so you know they would have been hyped too. And if Lou Will doesn't play well in Portland, it's tough, man. Um, I still would put as much pressure on Lou Will as possible, especially, <clears throat> especially on those second and second units. And if I, I would put, if like, let's just say the two 
superstars are out and it's Lou Williams running the show, I would put everything at him because I'd rather defend Lou Will than Reggie Jackson or, you know, whomever it is. You know, this is this is part of the playoffs where it's like, or, you know, regular season where it's know your personnel. If Reggie Jackson beats us, well, that's the Reggie Jackson game of the, you know, the, the season. Um, are they, they're, they're locked at two. With Denver losing tonight, essentially, that they have two up in the loss column. Uh, they are at .676. Denver's at .652. Each have four games left in the bubble. But again, there's no home court advantage. They can't get up to one. There's no fear of facing potentially Denver in mile in the yeah. Mile High City in the second round. Um, the only difference is you know you're facing the Dallas Mavericks at seven. And the Clippers just handled them. So judging by the way they've been playing Paul George and Kawhi, I think they're, they're, they're going, they're going for it. And we discussed pre bubble, how few of minutes that core has actually played together this season. So they're using this, you know, as practice to ramp up for the right time. I, I, I have no doubt that those two play, but you could absolutely see a way that Lou will or, you know, whomever like the the those the missing pieces or the 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 smaller pieces of the team don't play. But I totally expect Kawhi and Paul George to play. But let's just say Ivica Zubac is tired and they're trying to see what Joakim Noah can do or something like that. That I think that has a more likely chance than them full out resting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Whew, it's tough, man. It is a very tough – they just have wings for days. And, you know, Gary Trent Jr. is our shining star, but he's only one person, and they have two of the best six, eight players in the world. So it's a, it's a tough matchup for us. I think the Clippers win. I think Kawhi and Paul George dominate their matchups, and that is the – thing that digs us a big hole and we fight really hard to get out of it but Kawhi or Paul George in the fourth quarter tears our heart out I think it'll be Kawhi I have the Clippers winning a very close one as well I actually think the Blazers could be leading in the fourth quarter we've had a really difficult time defending Kawhi when he wants to take over especially on pick and roll action where he ends up taking the mid-range shot or even kind of backing his defender forward you know trying to play that type of defensive offense if you know you see Chris Paul do it all the time when he gets a a a defender where he wants to and he's kind of looking at the hoop but he's got a defender behind him Kawhi is just so good in that mid-range I wouldn't be surprised if we win this game Um, I I do think it helps that they're down Beverly and Harrell and we both played tonight it's a really weird start. Uh, I think if we win, we need Dame to get us kickstarted from from the jump and really be aggressive. Um, this is a game that will show me a lot, not really by the result, but how we play. Just because this is the fifth game that we're really starting to see somewhat of a core play together. They're coming off of two emotional victories, really four emotional games. Every game has been down to the wire. And they know every game is so vitally important. This game means more to us than it does to them, but they've had a little bit more time together. And like you said, they just have so many wings in Boston really killed us. With, yeah. with uh, yep. So if you look at anything as sort of an example, you look towards Boston mm-hmm. and 
it really wasn't pretty until we took it up a notch. I could see us winning this game. I, I this is the game when I saw the schedule. I was like, that this is just this is going to be a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think matchups are important in basketball, bro. And when they have such a distinct advantage, it it, it behooves them to utilize it. Who, let's say we play our starting five. Who the hell defends Paul George? Who the hell defends uh, Kawhi? So Gary Trent Jr. is not in this scenario? Not in the starting five. I would let Dame guard Kawhi because Dame's been actually doing a really good defensive job, especially on Tatum. Took his chance at Michael Porter Jr. today. Dame just wants it more than everybody else right now, to be frank. And I think you let Carmelo guard Paul George. And if, you know, Paul George, you have to get out on him. He's uh, been red hot from three. He's, I think he's the third best shirt. He's trailing uh, just Trent and, and Lillard in threes made. So, again, you say, Melo, this is yours, but I think it probably goes to, to a Gary Trent Jr. Um, I think that it's going to be a pretty quick rotation. But I think if we're, if, if we're starting the game, which, you know, the, fir- the last five minutes are way more important than the first, but the starting five, you know, if Paul George gets loose against Mello, it's going to be a very, very long day. I think the Clippers win. All right. And then the Blazers have to play it back-to-back. So the bubble really doesn't care for load management. The bubble doesn't <laughs> care for rest in between games. This will be Portland's third game in four nights. Again, thankfully, we had four months to rest. But again, like the Blazers, they are just one of us. They were with their families in quarantine and not thinking about basketball or preparing. Their bodies are just getting ramped up. And so this is a game against the Philadelphia 76ers who will likely be without Ben Simmons. He had a kneecap injury and is out indefinitely, which is not something you want to see. The Blazers are really looking at an opportunity to... I think really put stake their claim for, for an eighth or ninth seed with, with the victory here, just knowing who they have left on their schedule. And I think depth is going to come into play. I think we may even see a nine man rotation from Terry Stotts because you've got players who are working themselves into game shape, but you don't want to overexert them and see any type of stress uh, soreness related injuries. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Terry Stotts go go nine deep, and it's a second night of a back-to-back. Again, no Ben Simmons. Uh, the matchup I am keyed in on is Joel Embiid versus <clears throat> Yusuf Nurkic. That's going to be a show. Two top three centers right now, in my opinion, in, in the league. So did Ben Simmons get hurt against the uh... – It was the last game they played. So against the Wizards, Bomas. Yep. So it's t- – like – did they route him? Because I don't want to. Yeah, that was actually closer than anything. Um, so it looks like he got hurt. Uh, five minutes left in the third, and it was actually a close game. So their finishing lineup was Joel Embiid, Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias, and Al Horford. That's a traditional ass lineup. That is a traditional ass lineup, bro. That kind of plays Zach into Collins. Our- yo, this might be the the jumbo line type of game. I don't know if it's the jumbo line type of game, but it's a lineup where I feel comfortable with, with Zach and Nurk 
on the floor at the same time. Uh, Al Horford's old ass ain't beating anybody off the dribble. And this is also a game where I look at that backcourt and I say, Damon, CJ, let's fucking go. Um, I I just don't know what what Philly's doing. If I'm a Sixer fan, I'm actually pretty bummed. They had to trust the process and were the laughing stock of the league for like four or five seasons. They get Embiid. They they get Ben Simmons, and they're starting to click. They trade up for the number one pick. Take, I mean, they blew it on Markel Fultz. Jason Tatum was right there for them. Would have been the perfect player. Yeah, that would have been great for him. They kind of sold the sold the farm to get Jimmy Butler. Um, didn't have to give too much in retrospect. Robert Covington and Dario Saric, but they sold the farm for Tobias Harris, and they lost the better player in free agency. And now they gave Tobias Harris, who really shouldn't be making all that too. money and he's yeah. he's he's getting a lot of cheddar my, my friend fuck the cheddar i'd rather be a lion for a day than a lamb that lives forever so it kind of has context boom anyway yeah. uh that reminds me of a jay-z line where he says i'd rather die enormous uh than live dormant yeah i like mine better but um i would put gary Tr- <laughs> i honestly would put gary trent jr on shake uh, the lead ball handler if it's shake milton he can he can shoot really well, has long wingspan, but scouting report says he isn't the best dribbler in the world. I would put that to the test and really like put some major pressure on him to make those quick decisions. I don't without Ben Simmons, this team got a lot less dynamic. Better spacing for sure, but a lot less dynamic. I mean, Sage, can we be 100% right now? This is a must-win for the Blazers if they're trying to uh, secure a spot. You're, and you're if playing, they lost to the Clips. Yeah, you're, you're playing a team that is down arguably their best player. I know you're three and four nights back-to-back. I get it. This is a game that you just – the schedule makers may have done you a favor in the sense of you're playing the Sixers. Ben Simmons is out. I know – like I said, I know the – the stamina may not be there and you may be tired, but th- this is a game, a team fighting for the playoffs. They they just have to have. Like if Portland doesn't make the playoffs, we're probably going back to this game and saying that was our opportunity. One second. Uh, ben. I want to see how nasty Joel Embiid is with Ben Simmons off the court. So, in 586 minutes without Ben Simmons on the court, god damn it, he's unbelievably dominant. (laughs) Um, He's shooting 59% from the field, 38% usage. God damn, he's he's a monster. But we do have Nurkic that... We do have size to throw at Joel Embiid. He's a beast. We have our own beast. Yeah. But a 40% usage without Ben Simmons... like. If we stop Joel Embiid, we win, period. If he doesn't have a monster against us, we win this game. Yeah, I think the, the only real way is Tobias, Josh Richardson get hot, and Joel Embiid just dominates. We're, we're talking back-to-back X-Factors being Yusuf Nurkic, but if he is able to defend Joel Embiid one-on-one successfully and we don't have to send a double team, that, that, that is a win. And on the other end of the floor, if you can make Embiid defend time and time again like that pick and roll is going to be so vital 
Um, Sage, given all the factors we've discussed, I think it's a really favorable matchup in the sense that we can play traditional lineups. Uh, They don't have a lot of guard depth or defenders. I I think the Blazers bounce back and and get a massive victory heading into the final two games. What do you think? I think so as well. But Shake Milton can defend. He has like a seven. He has like a six nine wingspan. He he actually can. He actually can play some defense. But obviously Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard. Um, Yeah, I think the Blazers win it. Um, I think I think Hassan has a good game. Just, I mean, this is a traditional ass traditional lineup. I don't fear Hassan getting, you know, scorched by just some athletic freak. Let me look at one thing. Who was the, who? Damn, they didn't even play a. Al Horford was the backup center. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough. It's. In theory, this would have been such a murderer's row, but April basketball is real. And you know what else is real? The Holy Backboard's real. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcasts, Dash Radio, nothing but, nothing but Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 on the West Coast, and then 4 to 5 on the East Coast. Yo, if you've listened this far, you're a real one. And we've been putting out some long ass podcasts. So this is that- some content. Like if you like what you hear, uh, clearly keep listening. We, we appreciate your listenership. Uh, give us a, a rating, even a comment. Uh, just let us a know your comment. Let us know you're stars. listening, what you want to see more of, maybe what you want to hear less of, but uh, cannabis like- quotes. <laughs> you know, Sage's bad, bad cannabis quotes that he has to think about. <laughs> but you know, thank you for listening. And uh, I'm going to leave, leave off on, on two notes. First thing I will say, there's this quote from Gary Trent jr. That Aaron Fentress reported. And it's in relation to his relationship with Michael Porter jr. Off the court. Gary says off the court, we're great friends. We're amazing friends. It's all love. But when we're on the court, I don't know him like that. That's, that is the intensity that I love from Gary Trent Jr. No more hugs and hand pounds. Like let's like the, the dog is off the leash. We got a Bosnian beast. We got a killer and Dame CJ will put you in the spin cycle. Like we're starting to see the makings of a very special squad. And lastly, never forget, continue the conversation around social justice. Black lives always and forever will matter. This is an amazing thing. What the players are doing. I mean, they are staying away from their friends and family to go and play basketball and they're doing it because they love the game, but they're doing it for entertainment. And we are the benefactors of that. We can still live, you know, our lives. And so um, thankful that, that they are out there. I'm thankful that there are no positive coronavirus tests. So knock on wood there. Um, the NBA is setting the standard. The WNBA is, right up there and both leagues are fantastic uh i just got wnba league pass i've been catching as many games as i can uh my girl sabrina had that ankle injury hopefully she can get back but i've been watching a lot of satu sabali from the dallas wings and checking out ruthie ruthie hebert uh from the chicago sky so those those are my three favorite players and dude sage if the blaze or if the if the city of portland ever got a wnba franchise uh we would be getting uh, season tickets for real I think Sylvia Fowles is my favorite uh, WNBA player. He's a hooper. I remember watching her at LSU and be like, God damn, what a beast.
And yeah, I think I watched WNBA a lot when I was younger. So I like love Candace Parker. I love Sylvia. I remember the hype for Sylvia when she came out of LSU. One of the reasons I really like her. And uh, like, I was like, okay, this is going to be the league for a long time. And then all these really talented women came in the league. But yo, Sylvia is my girl. So shout out to her. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!